Amen. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Nice to be able to uh, meet all of you, and uh, we've always uh, appreciated Jason and the work that the ministry that's going on through uh, 6-8, and just continue to pray that God will use you and bless you in many ways uh, in these years as you um, look to serve him and be light and salt in the communities where God's placed us, uh, and that's what it's all about. Um, so how many of you have heard of this phrase, reaching the unreached? Have any... Anyone heard this phrase before? Okay, this is a common phrase that you'll hear as we think about missions, about reaching the world with the gospel, is kind of what we talk about and kind of go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, this reaching the unreached is a, a common phrase that we hear these days. Um, and this morning it's a phrase we're going to focus on. But when we talk about reaching the unreached, obviously we need to define terms. And... Um, we have two terms basically here that we need to define. One, reaching, that's kind of the action that we're looking at. So we're, what are we doing? What does reaching actually mean? And then we're doing that to the unreached. And so we're reaching the unreached. We need to define what does it actually mean that we're reaching? And then who are these people, the unreached, uh, that we're reaching to? Uh, so that's what I want to look at this morning, this idea of reaching the unreached and what these terms actually mean. And hopefully that will uh, encourage us and challenge us. I know you guys have been looking at missions and What's the biblical basis for us being light and salt in our world and, and seeing the world transformed through Christ Jesus? And uh, this morning we're going to kind of continue that theme, looking at this idea of reaching the unreached. And we're going to do that with looking at the opportunities that are actually right here at our doorstep. Many times when we think about reaching the unreached, we think about these places that we probably will never go, never see, uh, never be to in our lives. But uh, God is, is uh, doing a new work here and the opportunities here at our doorstep are great for reaching the unreached. I'm going to look at that a little bit this morning. So the passage that kind of really, I think, encapsulates this idea of reaching the unreached is in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Uh, very familiar passage, maybe to many of you. Uh, it's what's called the Great Commission. And here we see Jesus focusing on what I believe is this idea of reaching the unreached. And so I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 28. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn there. If not, uh, listen along as I read it. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, and as the disciples came to Jesus shortly after he was crucified and rose again from the dead, the disciples came to Jesus, and he was about ready to ascend back, ascend back into heaven. And uh, they came to him, and this is the commission that Jesus gave to them as they um, uh, uh, prepared for, as he prepared to head back into heaven and ascend back into heaven. So, verse eighteen says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, his disciples. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the phrase we're going to focus on this morning is this idea of making disciples of all nations. That's kind of the central theme that Jesus talks about when he talks about going. So he's telling his disciples to go, and this idea of going is uh, as you're going, kind of as you live your life, as you um, you know survive and you interact with people and you live your life, uh, what you're supposed to be doing is making disciples of all nations. That's kind of the thrust of this this passage. And I think here this is what for me, defines this idea of reaching the unreached. So um, what are the disciples supposed to do? That's the reaching part. They're supposed to make disciples. And who are they supposed to do it to? That's the unreached part. That's all the nations. And so this is going to be our focus this morning. We're going to look at what is discipleship, 
what does it mean to make disciples? And then secondly, what does the nation, all nations, when we're supposed to be making disciples of all nations, who are the nations and what are the nations um, as it relates to unreached peoples? And so the first thing we need to do is just define what a disciple is. And the simple definition of a disciple is somebody who follows a leader or a teacher. So we can say that the disciples of Jesus, those 12 who followed him, they were his disciples because they followed him. He was their leader, and they followed his leading and his teaching. This passage goes on to define that a little bit more when he says down in verse 20 that when we make disciples... What are disciples supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Observe or obey. So this idea of obedient disciples is an important part of what Jesus is defining as making disciples. That he's making, that when we're called to make disciples, we're looking to be engaged in people's lives and to help them uh, obey uh, whatever Jesus has taught or commanded. Uh, Luke 9.23 is another verse that, um, helps us to find this idea of what it means to be a disciple, to follow. In, in Luke 9.23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, that's the idea of following, if anyone would come after me, if anybody would like to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So here's the idea of obedient disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm laying aside my, my desires, my own agenda, and I'm saying I'm going to crucify myself to, to myself, to my self-desires, and I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to follow Jesus and follow his teaching. So I think this passage makes it very fairly clear that reaching means that we're going to be making obedient disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. The goal is people who are following Jesus obediently and desire to walk in relationship with him, love him. So what does this mean for us practically? And that's what we're going to take a look at when we talk about discipleship. I'm going to share some points that I've observed through scriptures and that this passage brings out to us as to what it actually means to make disciples. What does, it, what does the process look like and how do we do that? Now, in most church contexts, I don't know about 6-8, but most church contexts I've been involved in, uh, it's kind of a process. I see you're, you're sharing a seminar on, on how to share your faith. Uh, that's obviously part of this idea of, of making disciples, is being able to share the gospel. How do we, what does the gospel, the scriptures clearly teach about who Jesus was, what he did for us, and how we're supposed to respond to that. But in most church contexts, we're taught to evangelize people. So we meet somebody who doesn't know Jesus uh, and is not a follower of Jesus. They're not a disciple. Uh, and we meet them, and we our primary goal is to share the gospel with them. Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. And through faith in what Christ has done for us, we can have forgiveness of sins, eternal life in heaven. The basic gospel as we, as we know it. And then as that person kind of responds to the gospel and says, hey, I'm going to embrace this, I'm going to embrace the gospel, uh, you know, they, as they embrace and believe the gospel and they become a Christian, uh, then we begin to take, at that point, then we begin to take them through a discipleship pro- process. Uh, so we teach them about how to uh, use their spiritual gifts, or we teach them about spiritual growth, or maybe how to be a good parent, or how to um, raise your children, or um, how to evangelize, how to use our finances. What does the Bible teach us about how do we obey uh, Jesus? And so it's very much kind of this academic process of learning uh, information and increasing in our knowledge and information. But when I look at Jesus and his method for discipleship, I see a little bit different story. Jesus went out as he was walking along and beginning his ministry. He, he basically chose 
fishermen and tax collectors, kind of these average people who didn't know who Jesus was, weren't following him, weren't obedient followers. We couldn't call them disciples at that point, uh, obedient followers of Jesus. Um, And they began to follow him. And what did Jesus do? He lived life with them, life on life. He was uh, walking with them. They were encountering all kinds of different experiences. And in those experiences, um, he was showing them what it looked like to be an obedient follower of him. And he was doing that through teaching. He was doing that through modeling. Uh, He was doing that in a lot of different ways. And so when we talk about discipling people, about disciple making, we need to think about discipleship not happening uh, where we share the gospel with somebody when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Then we begin the discipleship process. No, the discipleship process begins from the moment you begin to meet somebody who is not yet a follower of Jesus. And the discipleship process begins at that point, and in many ways we're discipling people to follow Jesus. Um, We have, as uh, Jason shared, one of the uh, uh, things we're involved in here in in the area is an international student housing facility. We house five international students. We've been doing it for about eight years. And most of our students come from the Middle East. Uh, We've had probably 60 students, around 60 students in our home. Most of them uh, come from Muslim background and, and come out of the Middle East or studying here in local universities. And much of the, my interaction with these students, this is the first time many of them, for many of them, if not all of them, that is, is the first time that they've ever met somebody who follows Jesus, who really, really obeys the Bible and wants to, to serve Jesus. And not, we're not perfect, obviously, but uh, they, it's the first time they actually get to interact with somebody like that, who professes faith in Jesus and professes to be a disciple of Jesus. And in my interactions with them, all kinds of topics come up. We have topics such as, you know, how do you live? You seem to be a fairly godly person. You seem to want to obey God. Uh, how do you live in an environment where there's so much sin happening? And you see, it seems like there's a society that's moving more away from God than towards God. Um, they, they're able to observe how I run my business or how I interact with my wife. Or we talk about how we raise children, our children. Uh, we talked about all, we talk about all kinds of of different topics, but in this process, we're giving them a picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. How do I live my life as an obedient follower of Jesus? And and the discipleship process, even though these guys aren't believers, uh, we're bringing them towards uh, Christ, uh, the opportunity for us to demonstrate what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, that discipleship process, as I call it, uh, begins uh, fairly early on. And part of that, obviously, is how do we bring the gospel? How do we bring the, the message of who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for us, and how we need to respond to that? That's part of the discipleship process. But it's not the the, the, convi- the conviction to follow Jesus is not the beginning of discipleship. Discipleship happens from the moment we meet people. And so this way we're kind of teaching people to follow in obedience to Jesus, uh, you know, as a process. And I want us to think about discipleship more as a bigger process. Who are the people in your life who don't yet know Jesus, and how can you be involved in discipling them to faith in Jesus, uh, and much more than just the gospel, but living out the, the, uh, a life that, that walks in obedience to Jesus in that process. And then as they come to faith in Jesus Christ, helping them to grow in that faith in Christ, and, and seeing discipleship more as a process, much in the way that, that Jesus had done it. The second point is... Um, as we talk about being obedient disciples of Jesus, um, an important point that Jesus makes here at the end of, in verse 20 
uh, at the end of verse 20, it's a phrase that sometimes we don't really focus on a lot when we talk about the Great Commission, is Jesus says, uh, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Can you imagine being a disciple of Jesus? So here you've been walking with Jesus for three, three and a half years. He's been teaching you, modeling how to live. What a, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine being one of the 12 disciples. To walk, actually walk with Jesus, hear him teach, see him live out what it looks like to obey God and to walk in submission to God. Answer my questions when I have a question about things I can answer, I can ask Jesus directly. I mean, that must have been great. Three, three and a half years, this is the discipleship process that Jesus was taking them through. And then all of a sudden, Jesus now says, what I want you to do is the exact thing I did with you, I want you to go do with other people. I want you to go make disciples. But you know what? I'm going back to heaven. I'm not going to be here walking with you through this. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to now be faced with this huge task and I don't have Jesus alongside of me? But Jesus makes the promise here is, when you do this, this task that I'm giving you to do, just remember that I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so this is why we see verses like in Acts chapter 1a, where, where um, uh, Jesus tells his disciples shortly before he sends back into heaven, right around this time, he says, go back to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. You're going to reach the nations, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if you read the book of Acts, we see that that's what happened. They went back, the disciples waited, the Spirit of God came upon them, and that power that they had by the Spirit launched them out into ministry to make disciples. And many were made in the early years of the church and as the disciples continued on in their ministry. And so this idea of recognizing that Jesus is with us, he's promised he'd be with us to the end of the age, and, and his presence in our life is imperative. His presence is imperative for me to walk in obedience to him, because what transforms us and makes us disciples of Jesus is the presence of Jesus, his spirit in us. That's what empowers us, which transforms us to walk in obedience to him. And in the same way that, you know, um, I, you know, I, I think all of us probably at one level or another, we want our fathers to, our earthly fathers, we want to please them. We want to, many, many of our activities and our actions as we're growing up flows out of our desire for the approval of our father or the support of our father or the encouragement of our father. And, and in the same way, what flows out of, and my actions can be influenced by my relationship with my father. Much in the same way as I'm walking with Jesus in an intimate relationship with him, that what flows out of that is obedience and desire to, to, um, to obey him. And so this idea that um, Jesus is with us, he's promised he'd be with us till the end of the age, is a really an important phrase that he tacks on to the end of the Great Commission. And we need to recognize that part of making disciples is being intimately involved with Jesus Christ ourselves and then bringing those that we're making as disciples into an intimate relationship with him. And Jesus is always going to be with us. And the, the task of disciple-making involves the presence of Jesus in our lives. And then the, the other thing I just want to point out as far as disciple-making is this idea that um, so Jesus said to him, he said, I want you to teach the disciples that you make, disciples that you're going to make after I leave, I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and one of those things is to make disciples. 
So this very command that Jesus is giving to his disciples is being passed on from them to the disciples they're making. And now two millennial, 2,000 years later, as I identify as a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is a command that I need to obey. And this idea that Jesus says, I will be with you to the end of the age, he obviously wasn't with the disciples till the end of the age because they've died and moved on. The, the presence of Jesus with us, it's a promise that's made to us. And the promise that we have for him is that he's with us till the end of the age, however long that you and I are here. But this really gave uh, the disciples this identity of being disciple makers. And so uh, the disciples themselves saw as their central core identity the task that they was most important to them was honoring and obeying Jesus Christ by making obedient disciples, by multiplying themselves and others. And the point that I want to point out, the point I want to make this morning is how much do we see ourselves as disciple makers? You know, most of us probably identify ourselves by what we do. You know, you're a teacher or a carpenter or a secretary or a mother or a businessman or you're a cafe owner. Um, We all tend to identify ourselves by what we do. Um, But if we flip this around a little bit and we began to ask ourselves, Do I see myself as a cafe owner who wants to obey Jesus and therefore I'm making disciples? Or do I see myself as a disciple maker who's a cafe owner? That's real slight nuance there, but for me it's fairly big. Because if I see myself as a disciple maker who's a cafe owner, or I see myself as a disciple who's a secretary, or if I see myself as a disciple uh, disciple maker who is a carpenter or whatever... It really doesn't matter about the context. The thing I do is just the context that God's entrusted to me to make disciples. But my primary task is to make disciples. And I think as we look at our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ, and we look at this primary task of making disciples, that it needs to be our primary identity. And what I ask you are, do you identify yourself as a disciple maker who is working and living in this context? Or do you define yourself as a person working and living in this context who just happens to be a disciple maker or not? Um, and this morning, I just want to challenge us to look a little bit more at ourselves as our primary task as followers of Jesus, as obedient, surrendered followers of Jesus, is that we're making disciples and God's given us a context to do that in. And how are we going to be faithful in doing that? So the first point of our task in reaching the unreached is this idea of reaching, making disciples, I think is the, the key uh, phrase we want to focus on here. And, and that begins with first understanding that discipleship is a process, that we're discipling people from the moment we meet them be, who are not yet believers and followers of Jesus. We're discipling them to faith in Jesus Christ and then discipling them to grow in faith even after that. We need to recognize that Jesus, the presence of Jesus, is an integral part of me being transformed uh, and empowered in my own life to live out in obedience to what Jesus Christ wants me to do, and then also to be able to make disciples as well. And the presence of Jesus, he's going to be with us till the end of the age, is a really key component of being able to make disciples. And then the disciple-making needs to be our identity. Do we as disciples recognize our our primary identity is to be disciple makers, influencing and encouraging people towards faith in Jesus Christ? So let's take a look now at the second half of this. That's our first half. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now we're going to look at who we're supposed to be doing it to. We're supposed to be making disciples of the nations. So when I say the word nations, most of us probably think of this. We think of geopolitical boundaries. So we think of a nation being the United States of America or France or China, India, Brazil. These are all geopolitical 
boundaries and borders and people live inside them, those boundaries and borders. That tends to be what we think of. But in Matthew 28, Jesus uses this term nation to make disciples of the nations. It's a Greek term, ethne. It refers more, uh, more than just polio- geopolitical states. It refers to actual people groups. So ethne can kind of be defined as a body of people who share a common identity through kinship, culture, common traditions, language, and many times geography as well. So within a given geopolitical country, there can be a variety of ethne or a variety of nations. So you can have all kinds of different people living inside a, a, a single nation, France or United States or China or whatever. Um, in the community that we live in, down the road here, and I live and work in, there's, they say there's 80 different uh, mother tongues spoken. So we have 80 different ethnic groups living uh, in our community just down the road here. If you look at this map, this is a map of India. Uh, so there's one geopolitical nation which has hundreds of ethne in it, hundreds of nations, you know, from the Tamil to the Bangla to the Gujarati. There's all different kinds of people who speak distinct languages, have distinct cultures, come from a distinct kinship that uh, other uh, groups that identify them as uh, different from other groups there in India. Or you can have a common group of people who are spread out through various countries. So the Kurdish people, for example, uh, this ethnic group which has its own language, its own culture, its own um, uh, kinship, uh, traditions. Uh, The Kurdish people are spread out through the countries of Iran and Turkey and uh, Syria and um, Iraq. And so the Kurdish people is is an example of a people group that's spread out through different countries. So when we think about a nation, let's not think in geopolitical terms and borders of of existing countries, but let's think in distinct people groups. So this is a sense of Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations, all peoples, all ethne. So understanding people or ethne in this way, what do we mean that certain ethne, certain nations, are unreached? Well, we know from Jesus' command to make disciples that the context or the idea of being unreached has to be developed around this idea of making disciples. So the number of disciples, obedient followers of Jesus Christ, is what defines somebody who's reached or unreached. Um, I want to take a look at a a passage over in Romans chapter 15. I think Romans chapter 15, verses uh, 17 to 22, gives us a little bit of an idea how Paul looked at this this, um, this thought of unreached peoples and how that um, uh, um, kind of motivated him or drove him or helped him to think about how he was going to make disciples of the nations. And so I'd like to read from Romans chapter 15, verses 17 through like 22 or 23. Paul says here, Therefore in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So this is now activity, this is activity Paul is doing, and he's accomplishing something. What's he accomplishing? Uh, That Christ has accomplished through me, resolving in the obedience of Gentiles by word and deed. So this is what we're talking about, obedient disciples of Jesus Christ. Here we see it, Paul's goal is that the Gentiles would walk in obedience to Jesus Christ. He would make obedient disciples of Jesus. And that was his result. And God's using him to accomplish that task. So resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, and the powers of signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit, presence of God in Paul, enabling him to make disciples, live out uh, as a disciple and, and to make disciples. So that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. 
I have fully made disciples, and thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him will see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now with no further place for me to go in these regions, I've accomplished the task. There's no further place for me to go. I'm now going to come to you. So here we see an example of Paul and how he ran his ministry and his life as a disciple maker through this grid. Um, What we see here, first of all, is that he was making obedient disciples of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit in him. The second thing we see is the, the area that Paul was working in. So if we look at this map, Paul says here that through his ministry, uh, Jerusalem, round about as far as Illyricum, I fully preached the gospel of Christ, and I've made disciples. So you can see this is a significant region that Paul's ministered in, from Judea, Jerusalem, and that area, the whole way up to Illyricum, Paul had preached the gospel and those who were working with him. So we see that Paul had finished, in his mind, he had finished the task, and now it was important for him to move on to other places. What was his criteria for doing this? Well, in verse 20, he says, I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him, and they who have not heard shall understand. So they who have no news of him shall see, and and they who have not heard shall understand. So here we see Paul defining reached and unreached. Reached is an area or people group whereby the number of disciples made are sufficient so that outsiders are no longer needed for the gospel to spread among this people or region. In other words, the number of disciples within a distinct people group can fully fulfill the task of making disciples themselves. So when we talk about reached and unreached people groups, we're talking about, when we talk about unreached people groups, we're talking about groups of people by which there's not enough disciples in them to make disciples and continue to make disciples without somebody from the outside of that ethnic group coming in and helping to bring the gospel and helping to make disciples. And so this gives us an idea of what we're talking about when we talk about unreached. Unreached can be defined as a specific group of people who do not have the adequate witness of obedient disciples of Jesus present within their ethne are in need of someone to bring the gospel from the outside. So let me give you an idea of what the world looks like today as it relates to unreached people groups. Uh, We're going to take a look at some of the largest unreached people groups uh, in our world today. And again, these are groups that there's not sufficient amounts of disciples in them. Somebody from the outside needs to come, bring the gospel, and be a a part of making disciples. And some of these are significant-sized people groups. So the first one is the Sheikh of Bangladesh. 136 million people in the world today do not have a significant witness among them. Or the Arabs of Algeria, 30 million people. Uh, the Turkish people, 60 million Turks in our world today with not an adequate witness of Jesus among them and disciple makers. The Hausa of Nigeria, 35 million. The Arabs from Morocco, 24 million. The Han people of Chinese of China, 39 million. Then we have the Hijazi Arabs of Saudi Arabia and the Najdi Arabs of Saudi Arabia. Between the two of them, 25 million people who don't have significant Christian witness among them. The Wolof people of Senegal, 6 million. The Arab Iraqi people, 16 million. Uh, The Sheikh Qureshi of Pakistan, Urdu speaking, 10 million. And Arabs uh, from Tunisia, 11 million. So these are all significant 
people groups that are considered unreached. There's not a significant number of disciples among them uh, to really uh, make disciples and build the church in these, these communities. What's really interesting about these 12 people groups that you see here is that I have personally met somebody from every one of these people groups living in our area. So we have a cafe in a local area, and through that cafe and through living in the community, I've met a person from each one of these uh, people groups living here, currently living here in our area. And so this shows us that God now is bringing the unreached world to our doorstep. And what's interesting to me is that the opportunity for you and me to be able to make disciples of the nations, the unreached world, is probably as better than it's ever been in the history of the United States anyway. And the opportunity for us to make disciples of the nations is great and fulfill the Great Commission. It's amazing to me to think that each one sitting in this room can individually and directly be involved in making disciples of unreached peoples without leaving your neighborhood and without learning another language. And the opportunities are significant. And so I ask you this morning to imagine with me. Imagine that there's a Saudi student from the Hejaz or Najdi region of Saudi Arabia, of which between those two people groups are 25 million unreached peoples with no significant Christians among them, no significant followers of Jesus among them. One of those students comes here to America and he begins to engage with you or with me. And we begin to disciple them from that early point on of showing them what it looks like to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ, looking and praying for opportunities to bring the gospel into those conversations. And that person, that, had, that, that uh, Najdi or Hijazi Saudi Arabian comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and now they begin to grow and you begin to disciple them in their faith, and they decide one day to go back to their people in their home country and begin there to begin to make disciples. Imagine that happening over and over again with hundreds and hundreds of Hijazi and Najdi Saudis, students that come here to, to study in this country. And imagine the impact that we as the church could have in reaching an unreached people group in a, in a country that's completely closed to the gospel, that's completely op, um, oppositional to seeing the gospel um, propagated and, and, and disciples of Jesus Christ raised up. This is the opportunity that you and I have today. And I want to challenge us and encourage us to kind of open our eyes a little bit more to the unreached peoples at our doorstep and to see the opportunities that exist around us uh, to make disciples. And so as we consider what Jesus is commanding us to do, there's two parts of this Great Commission. We're to be making disciples, and we're to make disciples of unreached nations. Let's recognize that the discipleship-making process flows out of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ ourselves and, and is, is a, an oppor, a opportunity for us as well to see the transforming work and the power of Jesus uh, in the lives of other people as well. And realize that making disciples is a process that begins from the first time, I believe, somebody who is not yet a follower of Jesus. From the moment we meet them, we are working to bring them to maturity in Christ Jesus. One of my my life verse, one of my verses that um, has really impacted me over the years, in addition to this Romans uh, uh, 15 uh, 15, uh, passage that I just read, was Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29. It says, And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete or mature in Christ. It's for this purpose we labor, labor according to his power, the power of God that works in us. This to me is the whole process of discipleship, that we're proclaiming, that we're teaching, we're exhorting, um, and then uh, through that, as we do that in the power of Jesus Christ, we're looking to bring every person, that person who is broken and far from Jesus, has no, even, no knowledge of Jesus, 
to a mature um, relationship with Jesus Christ, understanding the fullness of what it means to follow Jesus and the the life-giving joy that we can have and forgiveness and hope that we can have in following Jesus and then living that out as an obedient disciple of his. And then the second part of this is God calls us to cross boundaries. You know, every culture is different. There's either a linguistic different or difference or there's a cultural difference. There's things that we have to be able to adapt to and we have to cross these boundaries in order to make obedient disciples of Jesus. And, and we, uh, in these, among these groups where there's not significant, amount, significant amounts of disciples. And so the questions I have for us this morning to ponder are, first of all, are you personally in an intimate relationship with Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Are you a follower of his? Do you understand what it means to be a follower, an obedient follower of Jesus Christ? Has God been at work in your life through the work of Christ transforming you uh, so that oh, the overflow of your relationship with Jesus is obedience? Secondly, do you see yourself as a disciple maker? Are you fulfilling this command that God's given to us, every one of his disciples, that we need to be making disciples of Jesus Christ? And then the third thing, are you aware of the unreached people living around you? Have you considered how you can be engaged in making disciples among the unreached people living around us? One of the websites that's a really good website, it's joshuaproject.net, um, they basically track all of the unreached people groups in the world, all the, these ethne, these nations. They basically have a database of, uh, of each people group, talks a little bit about their culture, who they are as a people, where they primarily live and come from, and then how many believers are among them, how many disciples of Jesus Christ uh, live among them. And, you know, they label them as unreached to reached. Um, But you can, you know, if you're out and living in your society, in your community, doing what you do, and you run into a Libyan person, you know, you run into somebody who's from Libya. You can go to joshuaproject.net and say, hey, I wonder what Libyans believe, where they're from, what their customs and traditions are, and use that as a way to build relationships and bring the love of Jesus Christ into their lives. So Joshua Project is a good, a good resource for that. And then lastly, I would just say, what's the vision of the church uh, for reaching the unreached, making disciples of every ethne in the world? And many of those unreached can be reached right here in our neighborhood. What is the, and I'm not talking just about 6-8, I'm talking about the church in general. As a body of believers, how are we reproducing ourselves and our love for Jesus and all that Christ has done for us, how are we reproducing that and bringing that, uh, that message and making disciples of uh, peoples around us, uh, particularly among the unreached in the areas where we live? So that's the challenge I have for you this morning, and I, I pray that God will continue to be at work in each one of our lives individually helping us to step outside of our comfort zones. Uh, Stepping outside of our comfort zone is not easy. I always tell people that today's risks are tomorrow's comforts. Uh, I think, you know, many years ago when we left for North Africa, uh, it was quite a risk for us to pick up our family, our two children, and head overseas and live in a country and a culture that we didn't know and that was very strange to us. We had to learn how to, we were basically infants learning how to speak a new language and live a new life, and that was a big risk to us. After about six or seven or eight years, it became pretty normal. It was pretty comfortable. And then God called it to a new risk uh, about ten years ago and brought us back to Philadelphia. And uh, many of you think that moving back to Philadelphia is probably not a risk, but it was a big risk for us. 
it was a life that we hadn't lived in uh, urban Philadelphia, and uh, God, God called us here, but it's become pretty comfortable now living in this area, doing what we're doing, and I don't know what God's calling us to next, but I know as he wants me to walk by faith, as he wants us to walk by faith, he's probably going to call us into things that are risky, things that aren't easy to do. And so I would encourage you to spend some time in prayer before God and say, hey God, where's the places that you want me in this vein of being a disciple maker among unreached nations? Where do you want me to be involved in that? Because I know I need to obey you in that. And how can I, by the power of your spirit in me, step out and take the next risk that you want me to take as I trust you uh, to use me in this, this uh, plan of seeing God reach uh, the unreached with the gospel? So let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, just for your deep love for us as people. Thank you that you've demonstrated that love to us in sending Christ who's given us so much and is transforming us more and more into your image and is filling our hearts with joy and peace and hope. And we just ask, Lord, that you would continue to help us to walk in obedience to Jesus as you fill us up and make us more and more like you. Thank you, Lord, for the life-giving presence of your Spirit in us. Lord, we do pray for the world around us. Lord, we know that we live in a world that's very broken, that people are hurting, that they're searching for hope and for truth and life. And we know that that only comes from you. We pray that you would help us to be engaged uh, gently and um, uh, boldly in, in seeing disciples made of the nations around us, of the peoples around us. And thank you, Lord, that you not only call us to do this, but your presence continues to go with us in doing this, and that we're not left on our own. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would challenge us and encourage us uh, to know how to be a part of this plan and this Uh, work that you've called us to as your disciples. And we thank you for your word, for its challenge to us. May it continue to give us life, and may that life continue to flow out of us by your spirit to touch many around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jason, I think we're done. (laughs) Oh, yes. I know you wanted to say something. Thank you.